0: What a weekend in the SEC from on-field and, of course, off-field storylines. And he joins us every single Monday, one of the best in the business to talk all things SEC football, our good friend, Chris Doring of SEC Network. Chris, what's going on, my man? Things heating up. The coaching carousel is beginning. I know you said off-air that. Not your favorite time of year because you've been in the trenches, you've been in the battles, you've been in those locker rooms. You know how much work goes into it, but I guess tis the season, my friend. What's going on? How's it going? It is.
2: Hey, man, good to be back with you. It's it, it's um it is interesting because I you know I, I've talked an awful lot about my time as a player in the NFL. You know, ten years in the NFL, got cut ten different times, got cut any number of ways. You could have been cut and. uh I just always I, I I have some sort of uh, empathy for those that kind of go through that and I know that's part of the business and I know that you know Jimbo Fisher's walking away with a significant amount of money not to coach but you know I just go back to that uh, that press conference uh, back in December of, of 2017 it seemed like such a great fit you know in, in both sides the resume for for Jimbo Fisher seemed like exactly what what am needed um, am with the financial. Support and the facilities—it seemed like everything that Jimbo Fisher needed—and here we are, you know, in 2013 with nothing really to show for any of that money, not even a a single SEC West uh, championship. So I understand the bottom line uh, business. Uh, He had four or more losses in five of his six seasons. Texas A&M was not paying him that exorbitant amount of money to be average, uh, basically to be the same guy that Kevin Sumlin was. Uh, But I do have some some empathy for for him, you know, and what that that uh, means to. Have not gotten the job done and, and his family's implications more more so maybe just the assistants too the assistants are the ones that aren't making that same amount of money aren't getting the big parting gift and, and have to now find new new jobs new homes for their 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 kids new uh schools for them to go to it's, it's just tough business side of it man
0: and chris i heard on your clip you mentioned on sec now the hiring when it happened in 2017 this was a it felt like the perfect fit, right? You're talking about a guy who'd won a national championship. He had the pedigree, right? Of course, the expectations sky high. Texas AM literally presents him with a with a trophy that had a blank date on it for when, not if, but when they would win the national championship. So, Chris, we'll jump right into it. Just when you heard the news, your immediate reactions to it, were you surprised? I mean, we knew this was a possibility, but Coming at this point in the season, what was your immediate reaction to the news?
2: Yeah, let me take you back to Saturday night because I was asked by some of our producers and coordinating producers um, my availability on Sunday for a, a show on some breaking news. I assumed it was going to be a, a coaching firing. Did not think it was Texas AM. They were at the, the, that point of up by about 40 on Mississippi State. So not I was actually thinking it was probably going to be um, another team that had not looked very good earlier in the day on Saturday um and, and then to find out this morning when i woke up that it was actually jumbo fisher that was being relieved of his duties uh not surprised i mean we've, we've talked about this i feel like the last couple of years about you know the the uh buyout about the money that the 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 a m boosters have about the fact that they haven't really had anything that that really resembled the success that they were expecting but um you know i think the timing of it was a little interesting, particularly, you know, coming off a big win last night or Saturday night against Mississippi State.
0: Now, Ross Bjork speaking to the media, Chris, Texas A&M Athletic Director. Obviously, you guys carry that on SEC Network. He had this to say. This quote stood out to me, quote, Our program is stuck in neutral. We should be relevant on the national scene. Something is not clicking, and therefore, something had to give again, Chris, you followed this. You guys covered it. Your thoughts on what the Texas A&M Aggies athletic director had to say and his message? You think what you took away from his words? You know
2: what I, I took away. Actually, you know, before we talk specifically about A&M, um, uh, some of our stats and information uh, group packets in preparation for the show tonight uh, showed the last couple years winning percentage. Uh, the lowest teams in the conference included, uh, besides Vanderbilt. Uh, my alma mater, Florida, uh, Texas A&M, Auburn, uh, Arkansas. I mean, you're talking about some well-funded programs there with a lot of history of success. And to think about those schools um, being uh, the the worst in terms of of winning percentage, it just I think it shows how competitive this conference is as a whole. I think I, I, it shows how difficult it is to win. All of those schools have had coaching changes in the last five years and um, you know expect some more probably in the near future as well uh, I, I made the comment on the show on on Sunday night about you know the the, the likelihood when you hire a, a coach as an athletic director uh, is far more that you're going to be firing him or he's going to be fired than it is they're going to win a national championship and, and uh, it's a lot of pressure that goes along with being an athletic director I, I, I don't know why you would want to have that job in all honesty now I mean you're you're beholden to your football coach, or you're probably playing, you know, seven or eight times what you're you're actually getting paid yourself. You know, nobody's ever happy in the fan base, and and uh, it's 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 more times than not, you know, trying to just uh, keep everybody pushing in the same direction. But I, you know this, Chris. I, I we've all had those instances where the fan base is completely fractured, and and there's really no positive. Uh, it gets to a point where there's it's just become so toxic that uh you have to kind of make that change and and they, they definitely have been stuck in neutral i don't know what it is you don't know what it is ross bjork made the comment that yeah, he can't put his finger on it but something's wrong and at the end of the day great business people understand if you know something's not working it's time to pull the plug now and not let it linger
0: yeah chris on that note it's a great segue i mean you just mentioned we don't know what I mean, if you if you had to guess just based off of you know, your time ar- around the AM program, covering the AM program, talking about it, if you will. I mean, what do you think it was? Was it offensive struggles? Was it cultural issues? I feel like that's something that, you know, kind of reared its ugly head over the last couple years. What do you think Jimbo Fisher's like the reason for his undoing? Because I-, I think that was the most damning thing, right? You look on paper, and I mean, if I gave you a blind test and said, okay, here's all the recruiting classes, who is this team? you might guess it's Alabama or it's Georgia yeah. or it's a top-five national program competing for the playoffs. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're not even a top-25 team, and nobody did less with more than Jimbo Fisher did.
2: Yeah, you know what? I'll go back and talk to about uh, Alabama and Georgia. Um, my, my co-host on SEC this morning, Peter Burns, uh, uh, often says, you know, those schools don't recruit, they select. And I think it's important when you're evaluating players that you want to be a part of your team obviously you know the fit in terms of what you're going to be running schematically on offense or defense you know their ability to 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 adjust to what they're going to be taught at the next level but they have to be good people man they have to fit your culture and i think if you go back the last few years those texas a&m recruiting classes that were highly ranked what about the the fallout from guys that didn't make it or the the, the guys you know missing curfew the night before games or smoking weed in the locker room. Like there's something to be said for having not only great players, but great people as well. And I think that's something that that Georgia and Alabama have really perfected. They do a a nice job of, of, uh, of evaluating all of those things. Uh, I think for a while there, it was just, Hey, let's, 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 you can say what you want. They they bought all the players, everybody's buying their players. So let's roll out as much money as we can. And let's get the top recruiting class because it's, 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 feels like that's what we need to do when in reality, it's like, yeah, we need to get some great players, but let, let's get the great people as well. Look at Georgia. Live
1: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: he's one of the best receivers in three as well doesn't necessarily look like your prototypical wide receiver but he's a guy from right down the road near Athens loves the the Georgia program um I can speak from my firsthand experience like it means something more when you're invested in that program and the history of that program is something that you're aware of and that you want to you know play your best for and so I, I think that you know I know that's a, a those are, are are less frequent than, than the ones that just want to show up, play three years, and go to the next level. But I think you have to find the the, the right people. And I, I don't know that they had the right fit there with a lot of those highly recruited players on the last few years recruiting classes.
0: Chris, last thing, and I promise we'll move on to the rest of the SEC slate, but on the Texas A&M thing, you pay $76 million, right, to get Jimbo Fisher out of there. The expectations in College Station are very clear cut. Now the question comes to wh- where do they go from here? I mean, because you don't you don't pay seventy six million to get rid of Jimbo unless you have your crosshair set on a big time name. So, not asking for a short list, but I mean, I- I'm sure you would expect them to make a really, really big time splash hire. Yeah
2: yeah it has to be right i mean it has to be somebody that's going to be able to get the excitement of the fan base back up i I think there's already an excitement about you know the idea of a change coming but um you know it has to be somebody that 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 fits the criteria of of an exciting hire a great recruiter a a good um face for the 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 program in general uh, somebody that knows the culture of that unique area the unique school i mean you know as well as i do um it's Uh, uh, been described as you know having having a little different uh, feel to it so I I think um, those are all things I mentioned on the show that uh, I would expect somebody to have SEC experience as well I don't think you can come into this conference and not have any idea what you're dealing with like we saw maybe Brian Harsin a couple years ago Um, but here's the other thing Chris is like who are you going to go get that's not involved in a potential it's going to be a great splash hire that's not involved in you know, a, a run right now to playing in the postseason. People talk about Dan Lanning. Dan Lanning's is going to be tied up, presumably. I mean, they go win the Pac-12 and he's playing in the college football playoffs. You're talking about you're going to leave there and and go to a new school. Meanwhile, the recruiting signing days is going to be taking place in December. Like there's a there's a, a reason they made the move now is to get out there and be the first to, to get the people uh, that they want to talk to, to uh, look at, talk to. But I still think it's going to be challenging, given a lot of the people that you probably want to talk to are ones that are involved in some some real uh, races within their conference and, and potentially nationally.
0: Certainly, Chris, the number of zeros on the check they present will not be the problem. So we shall. Did see you that. listen? Did you listen, Chris?
2: Did Did you hear Ross Bjork's comments as it related to the what he learned from his experiences going through all of this?
0: I did not hear the entire presser, so no. So
2: he mentioned he mentioned that. Uh, they were going to take a look at some different models for compensation and contracts. Like, I don't even know how, what that means. It, it's been nothing but an arms race. I, I played at Florida for Steve Spurrier when he became the first coach to make a million dollars a year. We're talking about guys that don't have near the credentials that, that coach Furrier have that making $9 million a year. It, it, I don't know how you go back from this, but you're not going to be able to go get somebody that that's willing to take on that job, leave where they are right now. And not have a an extraordinary uh, extraordinary buyout that's going to guarantee the money. Um, this I don't know how we go back from where we are right now with what's transpired with this this arms race throughout college
0: football. Yeah, Chris, it feels like in college football the money really doesn't exist. It's just kind of it's these made up fairy tale numbers. And I mean, it is real, but you know what I mean? Like it's it's monopoly money. These schools have an endless amount, and they're going to use it to their advantage. Uh, the rest of the SEC slate, Chris, some really good games. We'll go to. Athens, Georgia. First, my goodness! I mean, the dogs just pound Ole Miss. This game was fun early, right? Jackson Dart, yeah. Kiffin. You know, the offense going back and forth, back and forth. What did Georgia show you on Saturday night in that big win, fifty-two to seventeen over the Rebels?
2: Yeah, you know my Big takeaway was that uh, all those Georgia fans that were freaking out back in in September about Mike Bobo and what they were doing offensively need need to apologize because this dude has done a great job with this offense the development of Carson Beck I mean he looks like he's in full control at all times out there distributing the football when you have Brock Bowers back now Ladd McConkey in the lineup fully healthy I mean you're talking about your third and fourth options in the passing game being Dominic Lovett and Robert Thomas like these guys are are ones at every other school probably in the SEC and he does a great job with the creativity of the offense and the, the play calling um, the run game, the, the offensive line was able to just completely cave in uh, the the front seven for for Ole Miss. Uh, pretty impressive, 611 total yards of offense, 311 through the air, 300 on the ground, and uh, you know just distributing the ball to so many different uh, pieces of that offense. So I'm really impressed with that. Clearly, when you can hold Ole Miss's offense to uh, to two touchdowns uh, the way that they did, that's a pretty de- dominant defensive performance, and. Um, I guess we'll talk about Alabama in a minute, but it's just the more things change, the more they stay the same. And, and as much as we thought this year could be different, I had LSU as my my Western Division champion, you um, know, see those two teams doing what they've done and getting better and better as the season's worn on and just to ex- expect a uh, tremendous matchup in December uh, just uh, shows how well coached those teams are and, and, and how uh, how much better they are than everybody else in this league.
0: Chris, very well said. The more things change, the more they stay the same. We are getting Alabama-Georgia, of course, in the SEC title in Atlanta, and Bama disposing of Kentucky 49-21. to Jalen Milrow goes off, and meanwhile, Kentucky, they've lost four of five, and now they got to go to Williams-Brice Stadium. We'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, what you saw from Alabama, I mean, again, that was a dominant performance, probably even more dominant than the final score indicated in that game.
2: Yeah, it was, and I, I was concerned for them going into this game, a noon game on the road after the LSU win. I mean, there's a lot of things that you're thinking, well, here comes a sloppy performance by the tide. It was anything but that. I mean, just uh, hitting the ground, uh, running offensively, uh, watching Jalen Milrow throw the football. The time that the offensive line gave him, he wasn't even touched all day long in, in the pocket, uh, had time to, to, to scramble and let receivers uncover. Uh, the explosive plays in the passing game complemented by his running ability it it, it's it's feeling more and more like this this offense has really figured things out jalen milroe is very comfortable in that style and tommy reese credit him as well for the way they're uh they're evolving along with jalen milroe and 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 understanding just how unique a a talent is that they have there so it, it was fun to watch um you know i thought kentucky would be more competitive but Again, I think that speaks to just how good Alabama is and how much they've evolved since that that loss to Texas in the the the, uh, the near miss against South Florida in week three.
0: Yeah, Chris, if it wasn't for a muff punt, I'm not even sure Kentucky is in that football game. Uh, switching gears, Chris, let's say Alabama hypothetically, they go on a run, beat Georgia in the SEC title, make the playoff, they win it all. Is there any chance that Nick Saban calls it a career after that?
2: I have a hard time. I'm, you know, I, I was. We had some sound on on Saturday night on our show of him talking about how much fun he's had with this team and how you know, it's teams been a in great coaching and,
0: job. Been a great coaching job.
2: I, I think I've told you this a couple times throughout the season that I think Nick Saban has done the best job of coaching his team this year than any of the previous years at Alabama, and that includes all the national championships. Just because of all the holes that were in this team uh, heading into the season, all the questions we had about him. Uh, the, the the buttons he's pushed as the season's gone on, um, I think he's squeezed more out of less than he has in in a lot of other seasons in the past, and I think that's why for the rest of us it's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, it got to the point where you know, everybody got tired of Alabama because of their dominance and because of the best recruiting classes and the 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 uh, the, the, the murder ball that they they described playing. But it, this is a fun team that has grown a lot, and they the face of the team, Jalen Milrow. It's impossible not to like this kid watching how he took responsibility for the Texas loss back in week two. Watching the way he supported his teammates in week three when he got benched and cheering on the other quarterbacks that were out there. Watching his postgame interviews and the smile that he has and the joy that it seems that he takes when he plays the game. Uh, it, it, it's a, it, a different Alabama feel, I'm sure, for, for the fans watching, for the Alabama's fans, for the opposing fans in this league. And uh, and for Coach Saban, as he talks about just how much he's enjoying coaching these guys. So with all of that, I have a hard time believing he would walk away because he's still doing such a great job and still getting such fulfillment out of it. It seems like he's got a lot, of, a lot of years left, and I don't think a lot of people thought that after the Week 3 game against South Florida.
0: The Spurs Up show is brought to you by our friends over at Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. And Game Time is the way to go. Again, that's our friends at GameTime. Go download the Game Time app or go to GameTime.co. And when you do, create an account and use promo code SPURSUP. That's SP or S U P for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed. The rest of the SEC, certainly the SEC West, which we're going away from divisions, of course, hates. To hear that Nick Sabanite looks like mm-hmm. he's got a lot of time still in him. uh To Columbia, South Carolina beats Vandy, Chris forty-seven to six, dominant really in all three phases. It's always a lot of fun when you can get backups in. Of course, the true freshman quarterback Lenora Sellers he gets himself a touchdown and, and really that that feel good momentum building win that South Carolina needed. That I'm not sure they obviously didn't really get against Jacksonville State. They pound Vanderbilt. Now you've got Kentucky and Clemson upcoming. You know what, you saw from that game. I know it's hard to take a lot away because Vandy is a team that they are what they are, but you've won back to back games. You're starting to kind of maybe feel good about yourself. And here comes the Kentucky Wildcats. This game is a pick 'em, Chris, in Vegas. I think it's a really, really interesting matchup. The over unders at 52 and a half, Kentucky's weapons. I-, I think it could be a high scoring game. If you have any takeaways from South Carolina's win over Vandy, you can share, but. Thoughts on that South Carolina-Kentucky game? It's a night game at Williams-Brice Stadium, but I think that's going to be a really, really fun match at watch, and obviously South Carolina's bowl hopes uh, rest in the balance, if you will.
2: Yeah, first and foremost, I want to go back to what Shane Beamer said after that win over Jacksonville State. It's like, hey, we're not going to apologize for celebrating a win, regardless of who it's against. They needed that game against Jacksonville State to get some momentum going, now, all of a sudden, you've beaten Vanderbilt, as you mentioned, two games in a row that you feel like something's starting to, to click here. And I know it's against inferior uh, 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 competition and what you'll face the next two games. But, I mean, I we fully expected Shane Beamer to get his team off the mat. I mean, these guys have been doing it for the last couple of years, dealing with injuries this year and still showing up, playing with great competitiveness, uh, great you know spirit about you know playing the game, watching what Spencer Rattler does to lead that team. Um, I, I had I expected nothing less from him, and and uh, it almost feels like these two teams are headed in opposite directions. Even though Kentucky's got the better record, feels like South Carolina's uh, starting to roll, and and Kentucky's having a hard time. That that game against Mississippi State two weeks ago, I think, was a little bit of an aberration. They caught a team that's just not playing very well, and and uh, may have covered up some of the issues that still exist defensively for Kentucky, which is really surprising to say given Mark Stoops's is uh, from that side of the ball, his emphasis and his background and then Brad White and how what a great job he typically does, but they got exposed again by Alabama and that's not a indictment. I mean, that's a uh, a lot of teams have that, that struggle when they play Alabama's offense, but on the heels of Georgia and Missouri and the Tennessee game, um, they're giving up a lot of points. So I, I'm with you on that. I think it's going to be a fun ball game. I think it's going to be a high scoring ball game. Uh, Devin Leary seems like he's starting to get things going. So I, I I don't know what the total is in that, but I might go ahead and dip my toe a little bit on the over right now.
0: 52 and a half in that one, Chris Doring. Uh, Maybe
2: I'm going both feet in. Give me me both up, man.
0: (laughs) That is the 7.30 p.m. Eastern SEC Network primetime. So you guys, your crew will be on that one. Um, Do you get a vote, Chris, in the Heisman Trophy race? Do you get a vote in that? I think you know where I'm going with this.
2: Well, here's the thing. So uh, on the show yesterday, we, we got into talking about something. And I mentioned the fact that, you know, I was given a vote here recently in the Broyles Award by the folks in Little Rock. And uh, Dari chose to one up me with the fact that he's a Heisman voter. So no, I do not have the Heisman vote at this time. But, uh, you know, if I did, it would be going to the guy that I'm sure you're leading me to right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, again, I, I wasn't bringing it up to say that, you know, Dari one up to you. Uh, I was bringing yeah. it up to say, 300 passing yards, 200 rushing yards, first time in SEC history. Jaden Daniels, would you say he's the front runner right now? Because what he did to the Florida defense, I mean, we've never seen it. Literally, yeah. we've never seen it before. It's historic. I've been saying this for weeks,
2: though. I've said it for, for probably over a month that he's the best player in college football, that he deserves to win the Heisman Trophy. I didn't think he would win it uh, with the three losses that were on the, the resume with him leaving before the end of the third quarter against Alabama. Uh, But I think people actually took note in that ball game and then to follow it up with another performance uh, like he had on Saturday against Florida, uh, I I think has gotten the nation's attention and and doing things that nobody that's ever played college football has ever done before is getting that attention. Say what you want. I mean, uh, Bo Nix has done a nice job at Oregon. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. One of these players that I I love to watch as well, but he's not. could say what what's the definition of the heisman winner is it the most outstanding player is it the most valuable to his team is it is it the, the guy that's the all-around best i honestly believe that that Jaden daniels is all of the above like if you didn't have Jaden daniels on that roster they'd probably be a 500 team in baton rouge right now and, and it's a shame the defense hasn't been better this year because i think they're wasting a generational type offense uh maybe second only to the 2019 offense that they've had there before but Jake Daniels does it all. And uh, I had a number of, of Florida people texting me throughout the game and then post game on Saturday night about the defense and complaining about how bad they are. He did the same thing to Alabama's defense. And Alabama's defense is a very good defense. So uh, he, he makes really highly athletic, highly recruited, highly developed players look like they're, they're middle school football players trying to tackle a grown man. And uh, I, I tell you, it's easy to cheer for him. It's easy to cheer for him because he's fun to watch. Because he's got a great vibe about him and when he came into this league at the beginning of the season, uh, the year before this one. Um, nobody even thought he was going to win the job and I didn't think much of the the, the the acquisition through the transfer portal. But he has developed since about midway through the 2022 season into uh, a guy that's not only a, a great athlete with the ball in his hands, but one that can throw the football with great accuracy as well.
0: Chris, Missouri takes Tennessee to the woodshed, I mean, at Faroe Field. This, to me, Chris, felt like, you know, the Missouri defense, we talked about them all summer, returning just over 80% of their production. They were one of the best in the conference last year. And they've been solid this year. I don't know that I'd say they've been great or even met my expectations, but that game on Saturday, like, that's what we expected to see, or at least I expected to see all year long. Tennessee couldn't get anything going in the rushing attack. Their top-leading rusher was Joe Milton with 36 yards. Top-leading rusher that was a running back was Jalen Wright with 22. Uh, Brady Cook was really good in this game. Cody Schrader goes for over 200. My biggest question is this, Chris. I just wonder for the Missouri football program long-term, are we going to look back and say this was a one-off type of year for them, or can Eli Drinkwitz keep it rolling? Because, I mean, what they're doing is really special. This could be a 10-win team. And not many yeah. people saw Mizzou reaching those heights this year. Yeah,
2: we had a lot of discussions in the preseason, particularly at media days about who the second-best team was in the East, and nobody mentioned Missouri. It was all Tennessee, Kentucky, maybe Florida, but uh, South Carolina. I don't think anybody thought Missouri would be able to evolve into that. I mean, why would you? I mean, in in his, what, three years there prior to this season, uh, he'd never been more than a 500 coach, hadn't won more than six games. I mean, like, this came out of nowhere and I think it starts with that acquisition of Luther Burden and being able to keep him in the offseason from getting into the transfer portal um, he's a St. Louis kid uh, convincing him to stay at home now you have proof positive of what those kids in that part of the, the country can do staying in their in-state university making the NIML money with the rule that has been changed uh, there within the state and you're able to come compete for a conference championship and, and potentially more. Uh, this is, uh, I think, the first wave of what is going to continue to help that that program evolve, and uh, I, I think it's fun to to watch, man. And and maybe the most fun for me was watching another former walk-on and and uh, Cody Schrader, guy that was playing at Truman State two years ago, um, came into this ball game as the number one rusher in the conference. But I still don't think people really understood how good he was uh, going off. I mean, this Tennessee defense was number one against the rush in the conference, only give it up 97 yards a game, and he had 105 at halftime. And that was on, in addition to the 93 he had receiving in the first half, uh, put up tremendous numbers. I think true dominance is taking a team, uh, beating them at what they do best. This Tennessee team runs the ball really well and stops the, the run. And, and, and Missouri ran the ball all over them to the tune of, what, 255 yards, I think. Um, You mentioned it. They didn't even eclipse 100 yard rushing against Blake Bortles defense, Uh, Blake Baker, Blake Bortles, Blake Baker's defense. Uh, But I think they had 83 yards on the ground total. If you don't think that Eli Drinkwitz remembered 66, 24 and 62, 24, I can promise you he did because they made it a point to go out there, be physical, beat them at their own game, dominate them and not take their foot off the pedal until the end of the ballgame.
0: Chris, switching gears pretty dramatically here. You know, I I just think it's interesting with the SEC expanding next season and we're talking about programs like Missouri or, uh, you know, even Arkansas, whatever, like the SEC hierarchy. I'm just thinking to myself, how much more difficult is it going to make it for coaches? Because I think there is some value in, hey, we're finishing second in the SEC East or we're top half of this division or that. Like, divisions are going away. So, I guess, does that make sense? Like, I'm like, what are, it's going to be almost tougher for coaches to hang their hats on certain things because it's just going to be 16 teams down. And, I mean, you're going to get exposed, obviously, even more so than you already are if you're not up to snuff. But do you feel that as well? Like, is it going to become more difficult for coaches to kind of justify progress? And because there's not going to be, a, you know, it's not as flash to say, well, you know, we finished, eighth in the conference like nobody's gonna be bragging about that I I just I think that's really interesting in regards to the dynamic of because you're always trying to keep your fan base to your point in good spirits and all of a sudden it gets taken away
2: that's a good point uh while at the same time I also think it's going to be easier to help show your, your your fan base that you're you're doing great things that you're competitive because with the expansion of the playoffs you know, I think it's going to be incredible. It, it already has been, and it's going to be even more difficult with the elimination of divisions to get to Atlanta. Like, but you could have a tremendous season. You could have a, a Missouri type season where you said it. They win ten ball games, don't play for an SEC title, but get to a college football playoff. To me, that's that that's that's real progress for for a program like that. Kentucky could have been that in recent years. Tennessee was that probably last year. Like. There's a lot more hope that these conferences, these teams in this conference, have, um, especially with the dominance of Alabama and Georgia, to think about you know what real success looked like, and that's playing meaningful games in November and getting into postseason games that matter in December and January.
0: And that's a good point, Chris, because Missouri, I'm sure, when the college ball playoff rankings come out, they're going to jump up a couple spots. They would be fighting right now for a playoff spot. You have to think, if you're Missouri man, why yeah. couldn't this have been? Why couldn't the 12 team playoff been this year? Um, won't spend a lot of time on this one, Chris, Auburn dominates Arkansas. We've probably heard the rumors at this point and somebody's saying Pittman's gone. Oh, wait, he's actually not. Anytime that that chatter begins and, you know, anytime you see a loss like that on your home field, no matter who the opponent is, typically not a good sign. But on the flip side, Chris, I feel like all of a sudden Auburn's heating up a little bit. It's going to set up a really, really fun iron bowl in a couple of weeks.
2: You know, it's, it's so funny um, doing what I do when, you know, watching the tape and, and trying to uh, project what's going to happen from week to week. And I thought Arkansas figured something out in Gainesville. I thought they simplified their playbook. I thought they got back to doing what they do, and that's running KJ and Rocket. Uh, I thought that they they had a really good plan that created some momentum for them. And I looked at Auburn as a team. Ah, I'm not really buying the, 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 the Peyton Thorne passing game evolving thing. And. You know, they, they they didn't necessarily throw it as good against Vandy as they did in the previous week against Mississippi State. And then you come out, you watch not only Auburn move the ball up and down the field offensively, throwing it, running it, special teams returns, but you watch just how how inept Arkansas looked. They go three and out the first three possessions. They get that big interception. You think they're almost going to take it to the house and the game's going to change. Set the offense up at the 20 and they gain two yards and kick a field goal. That, that was almost the nail in the coffin right there, where you can't do anything with the ball at all, and and I think it's scary to think about. To your point, they're, they're creating momentum, they're having a lot of success, and they're doing it with subpar players that that uh, Hugh Freeze is openly trying to replace. I mean, he's out here trying to get guys that um, you know fit his scheme a little bit better, that are better talented uh, players than what he has right now. And uh, I think the scare, the future is very scary if you're if you're an SEC team. Uh, I know, again, the division's going away, but I, I think this is an Auburn team that we're going to be talking about in, enough, uh, in a, a very different situation in the next couple of years than we are right
3: now. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy and vitality. Go to Biooptimizers.com slash balance today and use code balance 10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com forward slash balance. Magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
0: Chris, finally, before we get you out of here to week 12, really quickly, it is Cupcake Saturday in the SEC as teams get ready for rivalry weekend. We've talked about South Carolina, Kentucky. Georgia, Tennessee, do you want to spend any time on that one? I mean, I, I feel like Georgia, they're going to get my benefit of the doubt. That's for sure. I mean, I, I don't, I'm sure Tennessee gives a valiant effort, but the dogs, I think, will handle business. But your Gators is where I want to close out on. Yeah. Go to Missouri, still fighting for that sixth win. It's a night game in Como. Man, what's got to happen for Florida? Because I think getting that sixth win is crucial for Billy Napier.
2: Yeah, say what you want about that loss on Saturday night. I thought Florida played hard. I thought that they were competitive in the first half. You know, they did a great job down in the red zone against the uh, the Jaden Daniels-led offensive of LSU. They did a great job on third down, only one of five for the Tigers on on that side of the ball. Um, you know, I, I thought a couple you know, the 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 reversal of the the catch by Khalil Jackson to me. I don't know how there was enough proof that that, that to overturn that. That was a big part in the in the game. You. You can't miss uh, a possession against uh, that LSU offense and and that was kind of something that put Florida behind the eight ball they couldn't recover from. but I, I like I like what they're doing on offense. I like Graham Mertz. a lot of I think he's been one of the real surprises in the conference this year. I think he's got a lot of weapons at his disposal. Uh, but I just I, I believe in Missouri. Missouri's a really good football team, and so uh, they're gonna have their hands full. I'm not sure if Florida's defense is going to be able to stop Cody Schrader and, and company and and what they've developed into with the ability to run and pass um i honestly if florida gets bowl eligible I, I i think it's more likely to happen against an undefeated florida state team at home in the final week of the season than it is going to como uh which is, is going to be a tough test in and of itself but um yeah it it's a uh, it's a weird situation that we're in right now as opposed to a couple weeks ago when florida was five and two heading into Jacksonville, and we're thinking about, man, can they pull this upset off over the number one team in the country? And a couple weeks later now, we're talking about them needing one win in the last two just to play in the postseason. And uh, You talked about fan bases that are a little anxious right now. Florida's is certainly one of them for sure.
0: Just two weeks remain in the 2023 regular season of the college football season. Crazy to think. Chris Storing of SEC Network, Chris. This is always a lot of fun, my man. I appreciate you taking the time and look forward to doing it again next week.
2: Yeah, man, running out of uh, Mondays to do this, brother, but I'll be here and uh, enjoy doing it with you as well.